everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. My name is Eliza Kelly. On today's episode, which is episode 13 of Stars Like Us, I interview a good friend of mine. Her name is Steph. You may know her as the Daily Hunch. Steph and I studied astrology together, so we have been sharing our thoughts and interpretations of the stars with one another for several years now. So it was a real delight to get to chat with her under the auspices of this podcast. We're on episode 13, which is absolutely amazing. It means that 13, for the past 13 weeks, we have been releasing episodes and building community. Um, It's been such a treat to get to talk to so many different luminaries, people who are innovative, inspiring, who are really finding their own unique voice in this world. So in this introduction, I just want to very briefly chat about something that comes up a lot um, that people ask me about individually, that people ask me about in their own life, which is applying astrology to your dating realities. So a lot of you who are listening are astrology, are astro-curious, if you will, and like myself, are intrigued by knowing about people's charts and finding the patterns and understanding the way that they function and their cycles move and the way that different transits will be impacting them. So that's awesome. I mean, obviously, I'm a little biased here. But when it comes to dating, and when it comes to meeting people, my recommendation is to not turn that off. I know that sometimes it can be a little bit scary or even embarrassing to meet somebody to show up on a date and ask for their birth info. (laughs) I also know some astrologers who don't ever read for their partners. Um, So this is very personal, right? This is just, you're going to have to base this on what you believe is best for you, for your practice, what makes the most sense for your heart. For me, every single relationship that I have personally, professionally, romantically, I have for the past, I don't know, for half a decade now, even more, I have made sure to have the charts of who I am building a close interpersonal connection with. And the reason for that is not so that I can focus on their pitfalls or re-traumatize them or ask them questions that are intentionally problematic, you know, things that they may not be ready to to look under the hood and explore for themselves, it's simply to have more empathy for these people in my life. I use the birth chart as a way, as a tool to generate compassion, kindness, understanding in recognizing the fact that everyone is going through their own unique journey, has their own path in this world. And the best thing that we can do is is be nice to each other and try to make that journey as easy and streamlined and as beautiful as possible. We're here to support each other. We're here to uplift each other. 
We're here to advocate for one another. So with that, um, obviously share your thoughts with me. You can always email me, info at elizakelly.com, DM me at Eliza Kelly. I'm always curious about your interpretations, your thoughts, the way that this resonates with you all. Um, and let's dive right into the episode, episode 13 with Steph, The Daily Hunch. Enjoy. Hey everyone, I am here with Steph, who is one of my astrology peers. She is the founder of The Daily Hunch, which is an awesome, awesome um, platform where you can go and get your customized horoscope. Um, I've had the privilege of watching Steph build this and it becomes something super amazing and very much what the world needs. So I'm really, really excited to be sitting with you. Thank you so much. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and the daily hunch and what prompted you to get started on building that? Oh, gosh, yeah. So I would say that my interest in astrology probably started when I was around 18. Um, my friend had, I don't know if you've ever seen this book. It's like the, the secret language of birthdays. Oh, yeah. Of you course. have it, of course. So it started with that. Um, I think like, you know, growing up, like my Russian grandma used to read me the horoscopes out of the newspaper. And I was always just kind of like, that's nice, grandma. Like, <laughs> but it was never like, um, I don't think that uh, my interest in it was really piqued until... I kind of like started reading like these more detailed personality profiles because that's kind of what it was. It wasn't just astrology. It was like all this other stuff. And we would spend hours just like looking at this book and kind of comparing it to all the people we knew. And that was actually, I think, where I first was introduced to the concept of Dakins. And I was like, oh, so I'm not just a cancer. I'm a cancer, too. And this is actually like a much more specific like. Which would be cancer Scorpio. Mm hmm. Yeah, but it's also kind of like, I feel like it's like the weird Dickon of cancer. Tell me more. Like the kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if this is just me being like a cancer with Gemini placements, but I've always kind of felt like I haven't been as much of like a, like a soft crybaby cancer as much of just like a kind of like a weird jester cancer. And that Ooh, was, that was jester <laughs> cancer. Um, I credit Annabelle, our teacher, for um, being the first person to kind of like um illuminate me to the fact that cancers also have this kind of clown-like aspect they but, totally do i actually yeah. was um i just wrote a thread on twitter where i was talking about how each sign makes money mm -hmm. and cancer which seems to be the most popular of these um i wrote uh moves money f between accounts mm -hmm. is how it gets rich and cancer does have this like very jester-like um, sneaky little quality to it, which I think is really a f one of the fun and lesser known attributes of cancer is that because it's the crab and it walks on its side, it can do all of these mm -hmm. unexpected little things. Yeah. And also, I mean, like you spend so much time inside that shell, so you're bound to get a little bit like... <laughs> stir crazy. Stir crazy in there. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say it kind of just went from there. Like, I remember like just taking like, you know, I spent a lot of like my undergrad years like Googling things, researching my birth chart. Um, I think that like the first time I started following an astrologer was because of like... Um, like my iGoogle homepage back when that was a thing, like they had this partnership with Tarot.com. And I think like it was Jeff Jower and Rick Levine at the time who were doing the horoscopes. And I started like listening to their like, you know, monthly 
uh, forecasts and all that stuff. And like, I would be hanging out with my friends and like, you know, guys, did you know that Jupiter is about to move into Aquarius? And, you know, um, I don't know. I think that I probably decided to formalize it a little bit more by starting a business when I was a little bit um, feeling a little bit like I was like stuck at a crossroads with my journalism career mm. um, and just kind of, you know, I think I was having my nodal opposition at that time and I was kind of like a little bit like losing steam. Are you a Pisces Virgo? Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So I was losing steam um, with the trajectory that I was on at the time. And I think that I was kind of like, you know, coming to a realization that um, the sort of like idea of, you know, getting like a staff journalism job at a magazine and progressing on to like this managing editor role was kind of like, like a possibility for like a select few people. Um, and... I started trying to brainstorm some like alternative ideas at the time because, you know, I was like, okay, you know, writing full time probably isn't going to like really like help me thrive long term. Um, and initially, like the Daily Hunch was kind of just like my response to reading uh, the four hour work week. Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is smart. I need passive income. Like, what can bring me passive income? And that's kind of how I came up with the idea to start those like um, like a transit report subscription because it was kind of like, you know, I could write these reports and then they would just sort of like automate themselves. Um, and it's it's kind of funny that, you know, my segue into like doing astrology professionally was thinking that like it could be a hands off profession because that is completely opposite from like what it is become today mm -hmm. because I feel like more and more um, I've been sort of called to um, sort of step into this role as like a consulting astrologer yep. and there's nothing hands-off or like part-time about it really and I think that like probably the thing that's sort of like allowed me to like build rapport with like my audience is these sort of like daily updates that I do on social media. I tend to like you know, there are certain things that I like deprioritize a little bit. Like if I, I might like kind of note it in the calendar, but if I, if it comes to it and I'm sort of just like, nah, I don't really feel like this is worth talking about, then I might gloss over it a little bit, mm -hmm. but it is a lot. I mean, you know, I try to like keep up with it even when I'm on like vacation or traveling. So one of the things that I have found, um, that I get a lot of questions about and that people are really curious to understand is the concept of the Saturn return. Mm -hmm. um, would you like to talk about that with me? Sure. Okay. So Saturn is the, I call Saturn the taskmaster of the mm -hmm. Zodiac. Um, Saturn is tough. Discipline daddy. Discipline daddy. Yeah. I, I am also a Capricorn rising mm -hmm. as, <laughs> as I really wear on my fucking sleeve. Yeah. So I have a very personal relationship with Saturn. Um, Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. So these energies really fit quite neatly into each other. So Saturn return is when Saturn in the sky comes into direct contact with Saturn in your natal chart um, when it meets it in the same sign. And some astrologers believe that, you know, the Saturn return is really reserved for when it's at the same degree. What do you think about that? Do you think Saturn return is like a two and a half year period? Or do you think it's that two week moment when Saturn is at the same is really conjunct by degree? 
I would definitely say it's more than two weeks long. Um, I, you know, initially when I was going through it, I kind of um, conceived of it as being sort of like the period when Saturn is within orb of my natal Saturn. So I guess like you could use like five to seven degrees. Um, but you know what? Which is quite a long time. It's still a really long time. And, you know, assuming that like, you know, a lot of people have like a multi-pass, you know, transit because Saturn goes retrograde. So you can actually have that exact conjunction like up to three times. As I did. As you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was actually, okay, so I was listening to an episode of the Astrology Podcast recently. Chris Brennan show? Yes, I love it. So good. I listen to it all the time. Um, and it was one of like the back episodes that I downloaded because I was like flying somewhere. And they it was like the retrospective where they talked about, um, you know, different people's Saturn return and Sagittarius stories. And they actually laid out the case for um, like why you could think of it as like the, like basically like, the entire time that Saturn is in that sign, but like, like it com- kind of comes to a head when you reach the exact conjunction. And so I kind of like, you know, open myself up to that possibility. And like, when I think about it, like, you know, kind of, as they said, like the themes of my Saturn return became present probably when Saturn entered Sagittarius, but I still think of like the main event as being like those few months. And what, which house was Saturn moving through during your Saturn return? The third do you and it was in Sagittarius Mm -hmm. so do you were you experiencing third house and Sagittarius Mm -hmm. Saturn themes during that time yes yes um okay I mean I think that like at the root this kind of goes back to like you know communication with siblings and um for me the thing that I kind of like you know like the way that I kind of made sense of it was that like, you know, I don't really talk to my brother that much. And it's sort of like this, this kind of like pattern has sort of like um, manifested through different relationships, especially with roommates um, in the past. And it's funny because when I was having my closing Saturn square in like 2009, I think I was also having like a bit of a falling out with a roommate at that time where like, we just had like a communication breakdown and like, you know, we spent like the last couple of months, like not really talking to each other. And then like in the months leading up to like the first conjunction, um, I had something kind of similar happen to someone that I was living with who was like, you know, by all means, like not someone I regret falling out with, but it was just kind of interesting to note. I'm curious about the relationship between Saturn return and the way it affects the sun as well. Mm I think that that might be something interesting to explore. I never thought about it that way. But I do think like, I mean, I guess some people can attribute roommates to like either the fourth house or the third house. But like, I also have um, my IC in Capricorn. So like, you know, fourth house themes will come up during a Saturn return. Totally. Too, so yeah, I would say that roommates are third and fourth. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's the peer to peer stuff. Yeah. But then it's also the structure of the home. They're kind of like a sibling in a way. They are definitely like a sibling. And they're yeah. also kind of like a colleague or a friend. And yeah. those are all third house things. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that was the central theme of... But you're saying that it's more than just your roommates. It was also um, a reflection of what your relationship with your brother mm-hmm. is and some of the uh, underlying symbolism embedded in that too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think like... 
the way I thought of it, like the boss round of my Saturn return was basically just like me sitting with my phone in my hand for 30 minutes, like working up the nerve to like text him and like ask him to talk about, you know, just like have a capital C conversation. And it was funny because like when we actually got on the phone, he was just like, no, I don't have any grudges against you, you know, like, but we were able to actually kind of just like address any sort of like, you know, even if it was just like one of us projecting or not, but like, you know. So would you say that your relationship has actually improved post Saturn return? A little bit. I mean, it didn't like, I wouldn't say that it like completely transformed it, but I do feel like it was. Yeah. I mean, it. that's just. I think that that's actually an interesting point as well. Like, yeah. the Saturn return is not a panacea. No. Like, we're not going to suddenly, you know, mend 27 and a half years of a difficult bond with somebody. We still have to deal with the trauma and the pain and the experiences that we have as individuals. Completely. And, you know, natal Saturn, Saturn in your birth chart is always going to be there. It's not like Saturn comes through and then Saturn in your birth chart is like, you know what? I'm out. I'm good. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. dip out of this one. But I kind of like to think of it as like, you know, your natal Saturn is sort of like initially like a handicap that you're born with that like if you, you know, approach it with, you know, enough intention and like willingness to work on things that like it can eventually turn into like an area where you actually have a lot of authority. What do you think about the relationship between Saturn and Chiron? I've never heard this before. Oh, I mean, I there's not. Oh. I don't have a piece oh. of philosophy oh, on this, okay. but um, I actually find often that I have a lot of clients who have hard aspects between Saturn and Chiron. Interesting. Um, I I also personally have an opposition between Saturn and Chiron. I mean, I have that classic millennial Capricorn trifecta. You know what? I think I do too. Wait, hold on. Let me just. Yeah. Is, is your Chiron in Gemini? My Chiron is in Cancer, but it's at like one degree. And then I have like 28 sad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do find that this is actually something that um, really comes up a lot when I'm looking at birth charts. Interesting. And to me, you know, I, I actually spend a lot of time thinking about Chiron. And it's so interesting because Chiron is one of the later um, celestial points that I really incorporated into my practice because I was... You know, it wasn't something that I had spent as much time with when I was studying initially. Mm -hmm. um, so I sort of was like, ah, Chiron, that was discovered in the 70s. But like, <laughs> what an asshole I am since Pluto was discovered in the 30s. Like, yeah. what really difference does that fucking make? Yeah. If something works and we can incorporate it into our practice in a meaningful way, mm -hmm. let's fucking bring it in. The more the merrier. Um, so now I am sold on Chiron. I find that there is so much wisdom in that beautiful little comet. And especially with the hard aspect between Saturn and Chiron, there's so much opportunity for, um, for healing yourself. In a lot of ways, I think Saturn is one of the same. It, Saturn sort of feels like the, the wound and the pain that is inherited it's like our old money wound. <laughs> it's like the shit that like our paternal ancestry imposed mm -hmm. upon us. Chiron is a little more open-ended. It could come from the siblings. Mm -hmm. It could come from the parents. It can come from a physical ailment we experienced in our childhood. But if there's a hard aspect to 
Saturn from that, it is almost like first we have to figure out, we have to like find love for ourselves in order to use Chiron to help us. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I think that with that hard aspect too, it's kind of like you can't escape the work. Yeah. I love hard aspects. Yeah. I find them to be just fabulous. Mm -hmm. They're so much easier to work with. Um, trines, I, I'm, I'm not that partial on them. There, maybe it's, you know, I think it's just a little too slippery. Yeah. There's not enough perspective. It's yeah. like if you're, if we're all trined out, then like. We're blissed out and we're like laying on the couch. Yeah. And like yeah. nothing we do is wrong. We mm. are just a victim of other people not understanding us. Mm. Um, I find that hard aspects are so awesome in being able to create empathy mm -hmm. because they are the multidimensionality within our charts. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of like, um, you know, an opposition is fundamentally like an opposing perspective, right? Exactly. It's like you and like the other with a capital O. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think oppositions are really cool, especially because, you know, it's it, we can imagine them ultimately both having the same goal, um, but needing but having such different ways in trying to achieve that and get yeah. there. I think that squares are fucking amazing. I, I think that it's so cool to actually have the tension mm -hmm. palpable. Um, conjunctions to me are the hardest. They're really, really difficult. Really? Yeah, especially yeah. if we have like different energetic conjunctions happening, right? Like if we have, um, I don't know, let's say we have Pluto in Scorpio, like mm -hmm. so many of us do. And then we have the sun in Scorpio and we have Venus in Scorpio. Like Pluto's running the show. Mm -hmm. So the sun is like kind of drowned out. Venus is having a tough time, obviously. Anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, it, it's the conjunction just makes it hard for the other planets to like function in a hard aspect, the planets are all like very palpable and present. I mean, I guess in the soft aspect too, they are, but conjunctions can be really rough. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of like in the sense that just like, you know, like there's no separation. Yeah. Right. So it can either be like, you know, a bunch of different energies like blending together to make something like more powerful um, as a whole. Or, you know, as you said, it's kind of like hard to like tease out like which is which. Right. Right, like who's who's working here? Is yeah. it the sun who's doing Pluto stuff? Is it Venus who's doing Pluto stuff? Or is it Pluto who's doing Pluto stuff? Because one way or the other, it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that conjunctions can be, I mean, I guess that that's also the concept that's a return. A Saturn return is a conjunction. Yeah. So Saturn returning to that position is coming with all of their years of experience and life and history returning to our natal Saturn who doesn't know anything other than like I have daddy issues you yeah. know <laughs> yeah says the Saturn in Capricorn yeah <laughs> yeah so what what have you found in um starting your practice and in doing a lot of people's charts like do you find that there are any uh themes or interesting like you know there obviously millennials have that saturn uranus neptune capricorn mm -hmm. conjunction that's like 
wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, are there any things that you see when you do people's charts that you find very interesting? I would say I'm one thing that I've noticed that I like, you know, I've heard other people say the same thing is that um, like at a given time, like maybe if I'm doing like a few charts, like in a week or a month, um, I will notice that I will get like repeating themes in like people who come to me at a specific time, um, especially like, you know, you know, when I was doing like um, like a Venus retrograde reading special, like a lot of those people had Venus and Scorpio. And I don't know if they came to me because they knew that or because they were like feeling really triggered by what was happening. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to notice like how um, there are certain things like about someone's chart that like you get in waves mm -hmm. um, at, at different times for different reasons. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I kept having people who were having um, Saturn conjunct their Neptune, which is interesting because like I'm having that now. Um, so like many of these people were like a little bit older than me. Um, and I was like, well, what do, I like, I wonder like what it is about me that like, you know, I haven't even like really gone through this myself yet. Like, I wonder what it, what it is that I have to offer them. But well, how do you feel about doing charts of people who are significantly older than you? Um, I enjoy it for one. Um, because on some level, I feel like, you know, people who are a little bit older have like a much more developed sense of who they are. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that if I was like still 21 years old and trying to give advice to someone who was 45, I might feel a little bit out of my depth, but. Post out and return. Yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. I don't really, I don't necessarily feel like, like I don't have anything to offer to someone who's like significantly older than me. I, um, love doing people's charts who are older than me yeah i just did a chart for somebody who was 16 mm -hmm. and it was very fucking hard mm. i was shocked by how difficult it was to have conversations about the chart without being predictive mm -hmm. um while being respectful of where they were at mm -hmm. this moment in time i obviously don't want them to hate their parents or their <laughs> friends or siblings but obviously that shit shows up in the chart you know yeah. if you have an overbearing mother or if you have an absent father like we're gonna see it mm -hmm. if you you know were born with some sort of a learning disability that comes up i can have those conversations with people when they're in their 20s and then older especially much more comfortably because people have a more rooted understanding mm -hmm. of who they are and they, they can kind of take it yeah, yeah. um with a 16 year old who I, who I really didn't know how to have that i was i felt like i was tiptoeing and mm. i was like you may find <laughs> that yeah <laughs> that stepsister is not your friend. Oh, no. Like, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> I mean, I tend to kind of, like, qualify a lot of statements like that, too, especially if I'm, like, you know, sort of, like, giving it to someone before I've had a chance to get their feedback on their own chart, um, like, regardless of their age. But did you find that it was, like, because, you know, you were sort of, like, a little bit, like, unsure about how to approach a young person or because, like... Yeah, I guess I am kind of unsure about how to have that conversation with somebody who's so young. Um, yeah. I was also thinking about, you know, me at 16 and 
I really thought I knew everything. Mm-hmm. I thought I had everything figured out. Yeah. Um, and I can't quite remember what my ideologies were then, but I remember feeling like I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. I know because I lived through it that throughout my 20s, I've had so many just mind fucks Mm -hmm. and revelations about my own history and my lineage and things that I thought were true actually not being true, that no matter how much conviction I had at 16, there's absolutely no way that what I thought would check out now. So I don't know what this 16-year-old for themselves is feeling. And I don't want, if you, someone's not ready to have real truth served up to them, yeah. I don't want to be the person to do it. That's a, yeah. that's not fair. Right. Well, I know, like, I've heard some astrologers um, won't even, like, read charts for people below a certain age. I think I might impose that rule. Yeah. It was a very difficult um, conversation for me to have. And, you know, it. I'm not sure if you incorporate this into your practice, but I feel very strongly about the chart taking 30 years to come into full maturation. I think so, too. I mean, there were definitely things about my own chart that I feel kind of like came much more into focus, you know, by the time I got to where I am right now. Yeah. So I I really very adamantly feel like, you know, with I, I use the technique of the degrees corresponding with the ages mm-hmm. that we would see and experience that planet. Yeah. If this if a person who is 16 or 17 years old has most of their planets, especially the personal ones at like 26, 27, 28 mm-hmm. degrees, like why even bother fucking talking about them? Like mm-hmm. this, it's going to be you don't we don't know what love really is going to mean to you. Like that's going to reveal itself over time. Yeah. I also think, you know, I I don't know I don't know that I necessarily think that I'm going to have like the same concept of my natal chart when I'm 60 as I do now. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think I think it's fine to look, kind of just like meet people where they are. But yeah. I don't know. I don't, I've never I've never actually read a chart for someone like below the age of 20, so it's a I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. It's a weird experience. Yeah. I guess my advice for any um, 16 year old listeners mm-hmm. or parents of 16 year olds who really are encouraging their children to get into astrology is to let the person first start to make their own interpretations of their chart before bringing in a jaded professional to do so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I definitely don't want to create more I don't want to be the fucking Saturn in the eighth house that I see in their chart yeah I don't want to I don't want that to be attributed to the experience that we have together yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah I think like the main like another kind of like risk that you run sometimes is like you know if you read a chart for like like a small child and it's mainly like the parent who's going to be getting the reading right and so like they might then sort of like alter what like how they raise that kid you know in accordance to like what an astrologer said and you know they could be like you know really speaking to something that they see but you know it doesn't have to manifest in any one specific way so is there anything else that we should we should mention before we close out are there Mm -hmm. let me ask you this if there's um for listeners who are just beginning to 
dive into astrology, what would you recommend as a place to begin? Hmm. Um, I think in terms of like, you know, free resources and websites, astro.com is probably like the leading place. Um, well, I know that like one thing that like their their birth charts are actually like, you know, tend to be more accurate than some other like free report generators. And they also have a lot of articles and really good resources on there. Um, like, for instance, if you're confused about the houses, they have a series of really good articles about the different houses and what they mean. Ooh, let's play a quick game. Yeah. I'm going to go through the 12 houses and mm -hmm. you say the first word that pops into your mind. Ooh. Okay. Ready? Sure. First house. Image. Second house. Money. Third house. Siblings. Fourth house. Home. Fifth house. Sex. Woo! <laughs> Sixth house. Uh, service providers, I guess. <laughs> Con Ed? Yeah. Uh, seventh house? Boo. Eighth house? Uh, trauma. Cool. Ninth house? Education. Tenth house? Career. Eleventh house? Friends. Twelfth house? Sleep. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> oh, we're going to go to sleep. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Steph, so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Where can we find you? Um, I'm on the internet, the World Wide Web at thedailyhunch.com. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Daily Hunch. And subscribe. Yes, Like please. and subscribe. Like, like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.